Blog Talk Radio. We all have inner work to do. Real life, real faith is an opportunity to connect with Cheryl and her guests as they take you on a journey to help you become your authentic self. Whether you need help goal setting, developing coping skills, or connecting with a power greater than yourself, Cheryl is here to walk with you on your path to personal transformation. Get inspired as Cheryl lets you become an active participant or just sit back and glean from the messages delivered. It's Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Real Life, Real Faith. I am your host, Cheryl Lacey Donovan. We are thrilled that you've been able to join us here on tonight. And we have two very awesome guests for you tonight. We have Ellie Safati, who is a motivational speaker and an author who has an amazing transformation story that um, I hope he'll be able to tell you on tonight. And also we have someone who is not a stranger to real life, real faith, none other than Playwright Essex Branch, who has joined us again this today to tell us about his newest play that is going to be coming out this weekend and that we at Real Life, real life Real Faith will have an opportunity to witness and review. So we're really excited about that. Um, just wanted to touch on a couple of things that have happened over the week. We've lost some great music icons in um, the industry this week. We lost Natalie Cole, who was put to rest on Monday, as well as David Bowie, who had been dealing with cancer over the last 18 months. And the Real Life Faith would like to just send condolences and prayers to their families. They are true icons, and they will be missed in the music industry. They have a great body of work between the two of them that um, can be imitated but never duplicated. And we're just uh, saddened in the uh, industry by the death of those two prolific artists. So without any further ado, I thought that we would just jump right into the broadcast on tonight. I know that we have on the line Ellie Sofarty. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you now. Thank oh, you so okay. much for it's pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. I had an opportunity to read your bio and a little bit of information about you, and I, I read there where um, this has been something that has been that you've been dealing with all of your life. And about eight years ago, you made the transition from fat boy to fit man, and now you're changing lives. And I want you you to tell our listeners a little bit about what that was like for you. What was it? Was there a one moment where you said, you know what, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of the yo-yo dieting, I'm not playing anymore, I'm ready to get fit and get on with my life? I'll tell you what, Cheryl. So, um, you know, for for those of uh, you that uh, don't know me, my name is Ellie Safarti, a.k.a. Fat Boy Fit Man. That's my uh, my claim to fame and the, the part of the title of my book. Um, I'm 46 years old today, and oh, nine birthday. years ago, uh, well, not today, today. I mean, I'm, I'm 46 years old now. <laughs> it's not my oh, birthday okay. today. Uh, <laughs> and um, so at the age of 38, I found myself with m- morbid obesity. Uh, weighed in at 300 pounds. I'm six foot tall, uh, extremely overweight. I had suffered with being overweight my entire life as a child. Um, it was a very short period of my in my teen years that I was at uh, at a healthy weight, 
and I just exponentially ballooned um, through my young adult and middle adult life. Uh, at 38, like I said, was the the uh, the top of of the worst for me. Not only weight wise, but emotionally. Um, which, by the way, uh, through my studying and through dealing with with people these last nine years, I've realized that obesity is not really about a love of food. Uh, Mm-hmm. mostly but of you know an emotional void and and it's an addiction food is an addiction like mm-hmm. any other addiction and we use it to cover up our our uh, our pains uh, our voids however you want to look at it um yes i yo-yo dieted my entire life um you know listen anyone who has suffered or is suffering with being significantly overweight we have a very common denominator or many common denominators, I should say. And, you know, one of those is, you know, the new year's resolutions, you know, what better time to talk about that than now everybody's ready. Everybody's pumped. Everybody's gung ho about doing something to, to, to get their weight in check. And that's it. This is my year. And this is my thing. I did that year in year out. I've tried every diet. If you name it, I probably did it. I joined several gyms many times, you know, prepaid. Uh, I bought every single DVD at 3 a.m., you know, on the infomercials. I bought books that just sat on the shelf. Um, And listen, I guarantee you that most of your listeners that have suffered or are suffering with being overweight are probably shaking their head yes right now, saying, yeah, yeah, that's me. I did that. (laughs) Exactly. Um, In 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 2008, um, I had an epiphany moment, which I speak about in my book, um, and it's kind of funny, but it, you know, it's absolutely true. And it's, and it's what somehow just catapulted me into what I call today, my one step at a time program. And if you allow me, I'll, I'll tell it very briefly. I used to travel aloud, yeah. uh, a lot, uh, for business. And I was at the airport in, uh, Miami international airport. And I was buying a bottle of water at one of the kiosks and, uh, the girl there was a, the clerk was a girl, cute girl. And here, here I am a 38 year old um, severely obese man. I was bearded at the time. I didn't consider myself very attractive whatsoever. And here's this younger, cute girl that tells me, you know what? You happen to be very good looking for a big guy, right? Um, Those were her words verbatim. She said that she goes, you know what? Just like, you know what? You're very good looking for a big guy. A guy like me, this girl must've been in her early twenties. I'm 38. You know, I should have taken it as this like amazing compliment, right? But all I heard was, you're fat. That's literally yeah. what I heard. I mean, you're fat. And it wasn't like I didn't know I was fat, but it was that just hit me so hard, you know. Uh, and that trip was really my epiphany moment. That was my epiphany moment. And that trip was the, the catalyst to really saying, well, Ellie, how many times are you going to do the same thing you've done year in and year out? How many times, how many more books, how many more DVDs, how many more gym memberships, how many more diets are you going to do? And how many more times are you willing to fail? And I said, none, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing, not going to do this anymore. Cause obviously it doesn't work. Uh, but I never, I, I didn't, I also didn't say, well, I know what I'm going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to do something, even just a little something. And that's what I chose to do a little something. So I made a point of making two small commitments. One was to walk for 15 minutes a day, and one was to stop drinking regular soda. Uh, I knew I had to get my body in motion, and I knew that I had to make some sort of change in my daily nutrition. 
but I didn't want to diet and I definitely didn't want to commit to uh, long-term exercising or, or uh, anything like a gym or, or spinning classes or weight training or anything like that. So I said, I can walk anywhere in the world. I can walk on the street. I can walk in a room. I can walk on a treadmill. I can walk at two o'clock in the morning. I can walk at two o'clock in the afternoon and 15 minutes. We can even endure torture for 15 minutes, right? You know, uh, mm-hmm. so it, it was a, a short period enough time, uh, but long enough that I knew that I felt that I was doing something. So long story short, First weekend, just those two changes, I lost two pounds. I was like, whoa, man, I'm still yeah. eating burgers. I'm still eating fries. I'm still eating pizza. I'm still eating ice cream. But here I am. I lost two pounds. I said, maybe I'm onto something. Second week, I lose another two pounds. And I'm like, well, look at that. You know, and I really haven't made that many changes. Um, mm-hmm. The walking then turned into 20 minutes a week. I committed to five more minutes per day, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and I started making other adjustments in my nutrition and without boring you every week, every two weeks, every three weeks, I would make these adjustments and add a little bit more to my exercising and making a little bit more changes to my eating and voila, my one step at a time approach to sustainable weight loss was, uh, born and, um, and I succeeded at losing 110 pounds in about uh, 13 to 14 months. Uh, but the most amazing thing out of this, Cheryl, is that I really found my passion. I found my calling in life. And that is having suffered through this um, issue of being obese my entire life, I really know what it's like. And having come mm-hmm. through it and mm-hmm. onto the other side of the tunnel, um, I realize, and, and again, now this is nine years. You know, how many people do you know have lost 110 pounds and can tell you nine years later that they're still at the same place? You know, I don't know too many mm-hmm. people. So I, I really credit my one-step-at-a-time approach to that, uh, not only for myself but many other people that I've taught it to. And this is what I do now. I, 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 you know, I motivate, I inspire other people, and I teach them, listen, I did this. I promise you that you can do this. I'm no different than you. I am not, you know, a special case. I am not a superstar. I am not a super athlete. I am just a regular Joe that finally took control one step at a time of my life, and here I am. And you know what, Ellie, you said some key things, and I always tell people this when we are talking about weight loss and weight control and these kinds of things. It is, first of all, it's a choice and a decision that you have to make, and it doesn't have to be anything drastic, but it does have to be a lifestyle change and some differences in the way that you do things. You know, people, you have all of these people that are going out and getting the lap band and the gastric bypass and the sleeve and all of that, and I tell them, you know what, that's great. And if you're someone that is in dire, dire, desperate need, say your health care, your health is going to be jeopardized or whatever, if you don't, then maybe that's an option. But at the end of the day, if you have not made up in your mind that you're going to make lifestyle choices, that same stomach that they staple, the same one that they put the band on, the same one that they put the sleeve on, if you don't change and continue your habits, it will eventually stretch the same way that it did the first time, and you'll be right back at square one where you started from. So it really is a lifestyle choice and change. And I I thank you for saying that and letting people know that it's the little bitty things you can do. I'm like you, soda is a big thing for me. And and every time, you know, when I get to the point where I say, you know what, no more soda, immediately weight starts to drop. 
from just not drinking any more Coke. And and movement is very important. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a marathon or, or, or um, um, you know, spin classes and all of that. It can be something really simple. Walking. It's it's it really is. You know, you say lifestyle change, and and we hear it all the time. You know, in in the media, and and when when we look at fitness magazines or weight loss uh, reports and things like that. You know, it's a lifestyle change. All these different, but it really is a cliche. And and I'm sure that uh, your listeners are probably saying, yeah, yeah, lifestyle change, lifestyle change. You know, how many times have we heard the same things over and over and over again? Um, and it and it's become so. Um, it's desensitized us. So, you know, we hear this lifestyle change and you're absolutely right that it is a lifestyle change, but lifestyle changes don't happen overnight. They don't happen right. in, 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 a, in a course. They don't even happen in a course of a year. Can somebody lose 100, 150 pounds in a matter of a year? Yes. If you're severely overweight, you can. But that does not mean that within that year you have created a lifestyle change. You're in the process of creating a lifestyle change. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's really about taking um, that mentality of all or nothing and turning it into doing something all of the time, regardless of how small it may be. As a matter of fact, I highly recommend people to start very small, okay? Because the idea of starting small, people say, well, what is 15 minutes walking going to do to me? I'm like, well, let me ask you, what are you doing now? No, I don't do anything. Oh, so you sit on the couch all night, right? Okay, so 15 minutes of not sitting on the couch eating chips or ice cream or whatever, I promise you, not only is it going to help you physically, but more than anything, it's going to help you mentally to realize that you can make a commitment that, you know, that even if it's 10 minutes, five minutes, I use 15 minutes because that's what I started with. But if somebody is so, so adamant, it's so difficult for them, even if it's one minute a day that you start and every week you add one minute in a matter of a year, you know, where are you going to be? You're going to be somewhere very, very, very different than where you are today. So it's a matter of really breaking down what seems to be impossible and break it down to the smallest of possibilities and taking it mm-hmm. and taking it from there. And that's the way you create a lifestyle change. That's exactly yeah. the way you create it. Very, very small, not all or nothing, but something. Yep. And you know what? I, I, I follow that philosophy exactly. You know, even when I'm eating uh, burgers, I may go and say, you know, give me wheat bread instead of white bread or, or maybe no bread at all or, or whatever it takes, just small little steps. But I, I recognize that you said um, you then you were doing a lot of traveling, and I'm sure you probably still do a lot of traveling because you're a motivational speaker and you're also an author. So what what types of things do you try to look out for when you're traveling? Because sometimes it's difficult. I know a lot of people that um, have to do that for their jobs, and, it's, you know, they, they find themselves eating out a lot, you know, business dinners, things like that. What is something that you would, um, a nugget that you would give to them if they're having to do that in order to help maintain and, and, and um, still work with the different choices that they're making that are better choices? Look, that's a great question. Traveling is, it, it makes it very difficult on anyone, regardless of whether you're, you know, you're an elite athlete in the NFL, uh, you know, the NBA, the major leagues, a tennis player. I, I don't care what it is. If you're traveling, it, it throws you off of your regular schedule. It throws you off of your of your um, of the norm that you're used to. And there's one word I call it 
you have to be prepared. Preparation is key. Okay, whether you're at home, whether you travel or not, but especially when you travel, you have to be prepared. Because if you're caught in the middle of, of a travel without, you know, having prepared anything, especially mentally, meaning knowing exactly what you're going to do, then you're going to be you're going to be caught in a place of oh, you know, making a a, a, a spontaneous choice, and usually those choices are not great choices when we talk about, about food. So what I suggest, for instance, and I'll give you, you know, I'll give your listeners a couple of, of, of tips. Number one, I don't care what restaurant you're at, you can make a decent food meal choice. The first thing that I do, and I, I still do it till today, if I'm going to a restaurant that I am not familiar with, before I show up to that restaurant, I will go online and I will look at their nutrition, I'll look at their menu, Okay, and I will decide what I'm going to eat before I even step foot into the restaurant. Okay, make that choice. Not I think I will have this. Know exactly what you're going to order. You don't even need to order a menu because that way you you make the right choice. You have time to look at the menu, whether it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes or, you know, if you want to peruse it throughout the day. You know, you're not in that pressure to make, you know, to, 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 to order. You don't have that peer pressure. Usually, you know, eating is a social thing. So, you know, you're with your family, with friends, with colleagues, with coworkers or whatever it may be. And, you know, they're ordering the chips and the salsa and this and that. And you feel pressured, you know, to enjoy that socially. But if you go in knowing exactly what you're going to eat already, you're good 80% winning the battle. Okay. That's number one. Number two, never show up hungry to a restaurant, always carry some type of, whether it's fruit or a handful of nuts or a protein bar or a cheese, you know, a string cheese. I mean, I can give you a, a bunch of different ideas here, but you, you get the gist of it. Eat something before you go out to a meal. Why? It usually takes a certain amount of time to get to the restaurant, right? And then it takes a certain amount of time before they come and take your order and the food is served. And what do they usually bring? bread with butter or chips and salsa or you know whatever it may be depending on the restaurant that you're at and when you're hungry when we're hungry i'm talking about all of us we seem to lose our inhibitions and we're like whatever i don't care you could be you can have the best willpower in the world but when you're hungry all of that is gone so if you have something that satiated you before and i don't mean a full meal i'm talking about just something to keep your you know, your blood sugar at a normal level and your stomach not in that, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm starving. I promise you that you're going to make much, much, much better choices. And I challenge your mm-hmm. listeners to try this next time they go out to eat. Eat a little something before you hit the restaurant, and I promise you're going to make much better choices. So now, Ellie, what about those individuals who like to have a glass of wine here and there with the meal or that may be social drinkers? Is there, do you have anything that you can give them, tips that you can give them in regards to that? Absolutely. I can tell them, where are we meeting? Because I want to, I, I want to toast with you. I love wine. <laughs> I, love, I, lo- I, I love drinking wine. I love drinking socially. You know, um, Cheryl, let me tell you something. You know, people look at me today and they see the difference from, you know, nine years ago to today. And they say, wow, amazing. Look, you know, you've got this licked. Look at you. And they think that 
you know, nine years ago to today was overnight, number one. And number two, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very active on social media and, and, and in, uh, I'm a co-host on a Spanish TV show here in South Florida. And, and you know, people see me on, on this light and they think that I don't – that I'm abnormal, meaning he doesn't eat anything. He, you know, he eats like this and he doesn't drink and he – you know – Listen, I live my life and I enjoy my life. Do I make much better choices than I did nine years ago? A hundred percent. But I promise you, I love my wine. I still have a burger from time to time. I still eat ice cream, you know, so everything in moderation. Okay. I don't drink wine every day. I could, I promise you, I would drink wine, at least one (laughs) glass of wine every day. If it was up to me, I would, but I know that that's not, it's detrimental to my, uh, to my goal of, of maintaining myself at the fitness level that I want to be at. So everything is about moderation. You have to make a choice for yourself. If you know that, you know, one glass of wine um, is, is going to benefit you, you know, but just know, don't have it every day, leave it for a special occasion, leave it for that, you know, for that weekend going out with your, with your spouse or your friends or a party or whatever it may be. And it doesn't have to just be one. I say one cause I'm a wine drinker, but whether it's a cocktail, whether it's whiskey, you know, alcohol, and I will say this on, on, on the negative side of alcohol is alcohol is, you know, they call it, they don't call it a beer belly for anything. And it has nothing to do with mm. beer. It has to do with alcohol. Alcohol metabolizes into fat okay it's it's into sugar which turns into fat which is stored in your body for especially for us men that fat for some reason loves to make its way around our waist right around our belly side our love handles and the entire thing so alcohol is definitely detrimental to a weight loss program if you will uh, or, or goal but again everything is about moderation you can't if you resist everything in your life, I promise you, you know, they say whatever you resist persists. So it's not about resisting. It's about giving in to small little things, but within moderation, within control. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. this is very much, you know, everybody's on a different level. If you're just starting out your journey, perhaps you have to be a little bit stricter on things till you get a good handle on what, on what you're, um, you know, on your new lifestyle, if you will. Um, today I feel much more comfortable being able to indulge in something and knowing that it's not going to snowball me into a, um, a, a, a complete relapse. You know, I couldn't have told you that seven, seven years ago, you know, two years into my journey, I was already 110 pounds lighter, but I, I couldn't guarantee you that if I had a slice of, no, I could guarantee you that if I had a slice of pizza, it was going to turn into a four slice, uh, evening guaranteed. Mm. So I stayed away from pizza. You know, that was my trigger, okay. you know? Um, so you have to know yourself really, you know, I mean, I can give a million different tips, but like I tell my clients and I tell the people that I speak to, it's a very individualized thing. And my, my approach one step at a time. And, uh, you know, I urge your listeners to go pick up my book on Amazon. They will, you know, they will see in the book, there is nothing about diets. There is nothing about exercising. It is strictly about how to make your own program one step at a time. Okay. There's a lot of motivation in there. I, I talk about my own uh, emotional side of the story. I suffered with severe anxiety and panic disorder for many years. Um, so it's not just about, you know, this guy that lost a ton of weight and, and how he did it through, you know, what exercise he did and what food he ate. It was, it's more the, the mental side of it and the emotional side of it and, and how to get past all those obstacles. 
Okay, so you answered my next question, <laughs> which is what was, you know, exactly what was a book, a book about and to talk a little bit about the emotional side of it because many times I know that people who struggle with their weight, there are a, a lot of emotions that come with that. And you, you mentioned it earlier. It's about feeling boys and, and uh, many people eat emotionally. So I think that it's great that you've written a book that speaks to that to let people recognize that it's not just a, a one one hit wonder that there's a lot that goes into getting off the weight and then maintaining the weight loss once you've gotten into it. And I know that you started out doing uh, walking for 15 minutes, but what does your regimen look like now? My regimen today is very, very different than it was nine years ago, but please understand that what I'm doing today took me many, many years to, to reach Meaning it, it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't overnight, and it was, uh, it, it was a very slow process that got me to where I am today. Um, I, I am an avid weightlifter, so I'm in the gym uh, with a weightlifting program uh, five days a week. I am an avid runner, although I've laid off running a little bit because I had an injury. I was training for New York City Marathon last year, and, and I, got a, I had an injury, so I've laid off running. But I've run 10 half marathons. I've, I've ran one full marathon. I, um, I, um, I got into the New York City Marathon, which I wasn't able to run in November. So weightlifting is incredibly, incredibly helpful to me. I mean, it totally transformed my body. You know, again, I'm no spring chicken. I'm 46 years old, you know, but I look, you know, if you look at my before pictures, I looked 50 when I was 29, you know, now I'm 46 mm -hmm. and I hope I, I don't think I look 29, but you know, I, I look younger than, than, than 46 and I definitely feel it. And I mm -hmm. believe that weight training is extremely important because um, as we get older, we lose muscle, okay? And that, that, you know, when people say, oh, I'm flabby, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're fat. They may be a little bit overweight and have some extra uh, uh, fat that they can get rid of, but muscle really is, you know, have you heard, especially women like to say, I, want, I just want to tone up, okay? Mm -hmm. Tone up, what that means is build muscle. That's all it means. Because the only way that you can tone your body is by building muscle. And building muscle doesn't mean you're going to become a muscle head. It doesn't, become, it doesn't mean that you're going to look like a bodybuilder. Trust me, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, effort. It takes a lot of the proper diet. And um, many of these people that you see in magazines that are big muscle heads and even the women and everything, you know, women are so scared to build this type of muscle. I guarantee you. It's not going to happen. Many of these people take uh, drug enhancements for this kind of stuff, and this is, you know, 10, 20 years into the process of doing this, and, and they're athletes, they're professional athletes. I would tell people do not be afraid of grabbing weights and, and learning a, uh, um, a weight training regimen. I highly recommend hiring, hiring a trainer, even if it's for 30 days, to learn the basics, and then you can go on your own. But it's very, very important, and it's something that's totally changed my life. So, Ellie, um, tell our listeners how they can get in contact with you and definitely let them know how they can get a copy of your book. Well, um, you guys can reach me on uh, all social media, um, at Fatboy Fitman on Instagram and Twitter. 
uh, Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com backslash fatboyfitman. Uh, that is where I am incredibly active. I call it the world's largest support group. Um, I have close to 40,000 followers, and, and we really are. We are one big family. I urge people to come and, and, and follow me there and visit me there. Uh, it, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about us. It's about supporting each other. Um, and my book, uh, Amazon.com, you can get it on paperback, and you can get it as cheap as like four, I think it's like four bucks, uh, the Kindle version. So, you know, I, we made it really, really affordable to anybody that that wants to grab uh, a copy. And one last thing, um, just started out at the end of last year, really for the beginning of this year, um, on Blab.im, B-L-A-B.im is a new platform. And uh, a colleague and I have a show. It's called Transforming with Jeremy and Ellie. Jeremy uh, Reed is um, my partner, and he's a uh, celebrity personal trainer. And we have a show every Sunday on Blab.im that everybody can participate in. And it's uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday, and we talk about all kinds of subjects, you know, weight loss, psychology, um, uh, exercise, diet, nutrition, uh, it, it really is a great show, and I invite your listeners to to please come and join join in. I, I invite you to come and join us this Sunday. Oh, absolutely! I would love to do that. Glad to know that it's out there. Awesome! So uh, that that's where I am. I look forward to uh, to seeing some of uh, your listeners come and reach out to me. Please, I I am extremely approachable. Send me messages. Send me emails. Um, you know, through through Facebook or through any of the social medias. I, I usually get back to everyone within within uh, at least within the week. Uh, I make it a point to to really respond to all my emails. So please feel free to reach out. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Absolutely. Ellie is also one of the contributors to one of Real Life Real Faith magazine's expansion magazines, which is um, – Journey to Wellness, Journey to Wellness, Real Life, Real Faith, Journey to Wellness. We're happy to have him there. So you'll be able to see more with Ellie if you uh, subscribe to the magazine and definitely get on Facebook and get on Amazon and get a copy of his book. He's an amazing, amazing person that has done some amazing things, really in a very simple way, an an ordinary person that took some extra measures in order to create some extraordinary results. L.A. Safardi. We'll be back in just a moment on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers, people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I am your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Layla Ali. I might be undefeated in professional boxing, but there's one problem even I can't fight alone. 
childhood hunger. Over 17 million kids in America may not know where their next meal is coming from. That's one in five children. Yet billions of pounds of surplus food produced right here in America just get thrown out every year. That's more than enough to feed every last hungry child. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank by going to feedingamerica.org. Together we can knock out hunger. Together we're Feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Real Life Your Faith. This is Cheryl A.C. Donovan. And tonight we also have someone who is no stranger to Real Life Real Faith, none other than Essex Branch. He has been on the broadcast before. And this evening we just wanted to touch base with him to find out what he's doing now and to talk to him about his stage play, The Wealth of the Wicked, which will be in Houston, Texas, this Saturday. I believe it's at 7 or 7.30, but I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about it. Hey, Essex, welcome back. Hi, how are you? I am doing just fine. Grateful that you are here with us this evening. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell So let's start with this. Just in case our listeners don't know who you are, tell them or remind them who you are, and then we'll go from there. I am Essex Branch um, from Houston, Texas. Um, and I have a theater production company called Essex Branch and Company been operating for about 26 years, and um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm 40-plus <laughs> okay. years old and, and just an obedient servant um, who loves the arts, writer, director, and, and know, producer. I, you know, I know that your plays, though, are a little bit different. They are um, – they definitely come from the heart, and they are designed to bring about transformation. Tell us a little bit about that and, and why – you want to make sure that your plays are more than just entertainment. Oh, um, it's more than entertainment because we live in a world right now where everybody is so um, tensed up and tight and there's so much going on. And um, though there's an entertainment side and it's, it's good to laugh and enjoy, but it's also good to bring people into a real moment so they can have a real experience. And I think that, I know how we operate. I try to make, I tell my cast all the time, it's so important for them to embody the character so the people, if you want to get deliverance and get healing when we bring our audiences out there, we want the um, audience to be able to look on stage and, and identify themselves, maybe if not themselves, maybe a family member or somebody who's going through a situation and they need resolve. You know, everything is not pretty. You know, a lot of people are going. A lot of people right now are going through some major, major crises in their life, and mm-hmm. they're looking for answers. And so, one of the things that we do is we try to bring critical situation, bring an answer, I should say, to critical situations. And unfortunately, because we live in a real world, the end result is not always peachy cream. You know, but the thing mm-hmm. about it is. How do we deal with real life even when tragedy comes our way? What's the next step after tragedy? So we try to go beyond, beyond when we get on our stage. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, how did you get into playwriting? What was it that that caused you to find yourself in this arena? <laughs> I actually was in theater arts in high school, which is twenty some years ago, mm-hmm. um, and. I didn't know I had a passion for the arts or anything like that. I was just taking a course because I needed to take it. Um, and mm-hmm. a friend, a friend and I got together for our local church at the time, and we just—they asked us to put a little presentation together. So we got together, and we wrote it. And when we wrote it and we put it together, we sit at my parents' dinner table, and we wrote it. And we went to the church and we put the presentation on. It was, it was, it was good, but it was different. So I was like, hmm, there's something different about this. And so we tried it again, and that was different. And so at that point, this is when I realized I, there was a niche for this. Wow. that You know, that's an amazing story. Um, some people, you know, there are some people who actually believe and, and feel like they know and really want to be in some of these arenas, but never ever step out on faith in order to make it happen. And here you are, you really didn't even know that that was something that you had a talent for, and you just jumped at it and did it, and now look where you are, what, 20-some-odd years later, actually producing these stage plays and traveling with the stage plays. And the craziest thing was, was <laughs> the craziest thing is I was always afraid and fearful. So it was, it was like, wow, when I get behind the pen, it's like I'm a roaring lion. But in front of people, I was Ooh. bashful and shy and just afraid, afraid of a whole lot of things. But I noticed when I got behind the pen, I was a whole different person. Um, but I thank God for the last couple of years he has brought me from behind and brought me to the forefront. So that's why I'm a little bit more loud, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, and boisterous with what I do because I recognize that the gift came from God, and so I can't, I can't fucking hide from it any longer. I gotta, I gotta let people know where the gift came from. Absolutely. So, how many plays have you written so far? Mm, we're gonna say well over, well over twenty, well over twenty. I'm sure it's above way, maybe over 30. I have not even, that's a shame. I have not even kept count. <laughs> mm-hmm. so I know well, look, that's done. a good thing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying to myself, oh, my God, I don't even know how many plays I've written. But I've written, so, and the thing, yeah. I, and I think that I say that because a lot of times people will call me in for conferences or conventions or, you know, things they're having at their church, and, you know, they have a theme. I can I can write things that are theme-based, so, that's why it's kind of difficult for me to give a number because there's so many times I've come in and I've written things just for a particular situation or setting. Mm-hmm. So now, um, everybody, we're speaking with Essex Branch. He is a playwright from Houston, Texas, and when we come back in just a moment, we want to talk to him about his play, The Wealth of the Wicked, that will be in Houston, Texas, this Saturday at 730. So we'll be back in just a moment with Essex Branch, Real Life, Real Faith, with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance too. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. That's Goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. 
the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space. Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Essex Branch is a playwright here in the city of Houston, Texas, and his uh, theatrical play, The Wealth of the Wicked, will be in Houston this weekend, January the 16th at 7.30 p.m. at the Stafford Center. And we have Essex Branch here with us tonight on the broadcast. So, Essex, tell us a little bit about The Wealth of the Wicked. Wow, the wealth of the wicked. Actually, um, the wealth of the wicked is one of the original play I wrote. Well over, to be honest with you, that's one of the very first plays I wrote when I first started writing. And yeah. I, after I wrote it, um, we you know performed it a few times. And then I put it on the shelf, and I took it down and I rewrote it. I came and I revised it to make it modern. Um, for today's time. And so we did the production a couple of years ago. The craziest thing is at the end of the production, God told me that we had to continue on with it because there were so many undealt with answers and so many undealt with issues that we needed um, answers to. So we created a part two. <laughs> I told the audience okay. of the cast right there when we were doing Curtain Call, guess what, guys, we have a part two. And everybody was in complete shock. And so we went into part two, wow. and then part two, there was more issues and more things that were still unresolved, so we had part three. And then oh, after wow. part three, we still <laughs> were not finished. And so we're at part four. As a matter of fact, I'm at rehearsal tonight with the cast, but we had a part four. We're getting ready to enter part four, and needless to say, we're still not finished. There's so many issues. And so as I began to look into it, I realized that, the Wealth of the Wicked talks about a story of five different families or five different couples who all prayed and asked God for wealth and success. They wanted to be wealthy. They wanted to be successful. They wanted to find cars and the nice jewelry and all those things. And God gave it to them. And in the midst of them getting it, they began to self-sabotage because of undealt with personal issues in their lives, secrets and and emotional issues that took place when they were children, and it carried over now into their adulthood. And so you have five different homes who live in a subdivision called Hampton's Estate, and all of them are rich, doctors, lawyers, you know, judges, all of this. Um, but everybody's hiding behind their money. And mm. there's so many secrets, domestic violence and sexual abuse and drug abuse and but they're all hiding. But when they come out in the public, you see the jewelry and the money and the, the fine living. But mm-hmm. when they get behind closed doors, there's so much happening. 
And so God is really doing some therapy and some healing, even with the cast as we're digging into this. You know, we're, we're parallel, paralleling our lives along with this script, and we're seeing some of our own issues that we have, and we're like, wow. So that's the wealth of the wicked. <laughs> wow. So now if someone wants to come and see the wealth of the wicked this weekend, what do they need to do? Are available online. And they can go to www.sx, that's the letter S, the letter X as an X-ray, branch, B-R-A-N-C-H, co, C-O, dot com, and click on the flyer. And it's going to take you to the Stafford Center's um, seating um, site. And you can select your seat and um, purchase your ticket there, or you can call the box office um, at 281-208-6900, and the assistance at the box office will assist you. Or if they, you know, not comfortable going online and putting a credit card online, they can actually um, meet us there on Saturday and get their tickets at the box office on Saturday. Um, the um, price will not go up. It will not increase. Um, so they can do that choice. So there's three options. Okay, all right. And I just want to ask you one more question. What advice would you give to someone who is an aspiring playwright? Recently this year I was blessed to be able to connect with someone who's been my mentor from afar. I went to a workshop and sat under his teaching and because um, I never reached out to him and told him, but he was somebody I had been following and I got a chance to connect with him, and he actually brought me in as one of his mentees. And so, and that's the person, um, David E. Talbert. And as I was sitting mm. this past summer, he invited us to come to um, Los Angeles, California. He was actually filming one of his stage productions for BET, and we set up under him for seven days. And one of the things that he taught us was to be real with ourselves, be true to ourselves, and don't hold back on our gift. Push the envelope. God is the giver of the gift, and you just delve in. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what people say. Just write for whatever God puts on your heart. And that's it. I mean, sometimes a lot of times we go and we ask people their opinions, and people don't agree with us, and that pushes us back or, or it handicaps us from going forward because we are operating on people's opinions. But if God has given it to you, God has told you to do it, go for it. Essex, that is some great advice. Thank you so much for joining us once again on Real Life, Real Faith. We are excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. You're an awesome person, and I am so, so excited for this opportunity. All right, and I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Yes, ma'am. We're going to connect and take pictures and all <laughs> yes. that good stuff, so. Yeah, we'll see you on the red carpet. (laughs) Absolutely. Everybody, that is Essex Branch. He is the playwright for the play, The Wealth of the Wicked, that will be in Houston, Texas, this Saturday, January 16th at 7.30 p.m. It is being held at the Stafford Center, 10505 Cash Road in Stafford, Texas. If you want to get tickets, you can go to SX. Branch Co. Branch B R A N C H C O dot com, and you will be directed to the Stafford Center ticket office where you can choose your 
Feast. Hopefully you will be available to um, meet us there on this Saturday. Also, you can call the box office for tickets, 281-208-6900. Again, that is 281-208-6900. The Wealth of the Wicked, this Saturday, January 16th at 7.30 p.m., Stafford Center in Stafford, Texas. This has been an amazing broadcast. We thank you so much for joining us tonight. We want to remind you that you can come back again next Tuesday at 7 o'clock p.m. to this same place on blogtalkradio.com, Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. And as always, we want to remind you that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Be blessed.